check, 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 one, two, one, two. Hey, how's everybody doing out there? This is Craddy. Thanks for listening to Live and Direct. Today I talked to Terrence Zdenich. Terrence is an artist in many ways. He's a musician, he's a singer, he draws, he makes films. His newest film is called Alleluia, The Devil's Carnival. So check it out. This is Terrence Zdenich on Live and Direct. Hey, Terrence, how you doing? This is Craddy. I'm well, man. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thanks for talking to me. Yeah, I've actually just become acquainted with um, with your work. It was completely unknown to me. I think someone had sent me a link to the Devil's Carnival and said I'd like it, but I don't think I ever watched it. And uh, I'd just been, you know, going through your vast array of work. You have so much going on. It's It's amazing, actually. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, you are an artist on so many different levels. It's uh, it's really impressive, you know, drawing and singing and acting and writing and film and um, even the the um, the Tudor videos. I was watching yeah. some of those. <laughs> those are really fascinating. I gotta say, like the first one, I was like, "What the fuck is this?" And I was almost a little irritated. <laughs> But I, I took that as a sign that I needed to check out more. So I checked out a couple more, and it was so interesting the way you approached the artistic process in this very abstract way, but yet uh, it was it was kind of direct in a, in a, in a sense because you didn't talk about art in like draw like this or hold your pencil like that or anything. Was that the goal of it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, firstly, I'm, I'm glad you I'm glad you liked it. Um, I, I suppose that I'm sort of used to that. Even with the, the Devil's Carnival film and last night's premiere, I think a lot of people, when they first watch it or they first start watching it, they're sort of taken aback, and it takes them a bit to kind of get into the rhythm of what it is. Um, mm-hmm. And then a lot of people turn out really enjoying it. So I suppose the tutor is no different. Um, it was a few years ago, but I mean, it, it was really just, I was releasing a comic book series at the time. Um, right, the molting, right? The molting. And I was looking for, I guess I was looking for a way to add a personal touch to the promotion of the comic series. You know, um, with the films, I'm sort of out there, even if I'm, you know, covered in red makeup and wearing horns, I'm sort of out in the front. Yeah, in front of the camera. Um, and so the comic book, even though it was a very, very personal experience and a lot of me went into making it, there wasn't that direct connection. So I just kind of sat down with a friend of mine, um, Shem, who directed it. Yeah. And we just started talking about how do you how do you make a character out of the artistic process? And we started came up with this idea of like, you know, what if a basically a serial killer. It was like a Ted Bundy meets Bob Ross sort of school of school of art. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, it was, it, but you know, it's funny. I felt like a lot of the stuff you said was applicable to almost any art form. That's what I started to realize. And that's what kind of drew me in. Even though you were kind of specifically talking about painting, I, I, I'm more in the music, but you were talking about like, you know, start with the darker shades 
and then you put on the medium shades and you put on the lighter shades and I was like, oh yeah, I, I can see this. This is just art in a in a really broad sense, actually. Yeah, you know, and, and as someone who does music as well, I, I I never really thought about it in those terms, but but you're right. I mean, and then on the conceptual level too, just that sort of idea that it's always a battle between order and chaos, I guess, mm-hmm. and uh, and maybe un. And maybe unironically, uh, you know, that is sort of one of the themes of, of, the, of the new film as well. So maybe I'm just a broken record and I didn't realize it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that happens a lot. So you had, the re- you had the premiere last night in Los Angeles? We did, we did. And so if I sound a little hoarse, it's, it's partly... That's fine. Partly How'd it go? It, well, it was great. It was a sold-out show. Um, right. You know, most of the cast and crew who worked on the film uh, were there and uh, there was some press of course but about half the audience was fans and that's really who we're making this stuff for so it was really cool to see uh, them show up and, and kind of get to experience their reactions in real time and, and they seemed to enjoy it you know they, they seemed to laugh at the right places and and, <laughs> right. Uh, applaud at the right places. So it was. Is exciting. it hard to watch your work with an audience? Are you sitting there cringing at certain moments, hoping people don't notice that you know some continuity issue wasn't taken care of, or some some minor yeah, I thing? Mean, yeah, and 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 usually, you know, we're we're going to be touring this this project, which is something we've done with with our former musical films, and yeah, I do find that nightly I don't watch the film. Um, and, and it's not because, you know, I don't like it or I don't want to be in a room with the crowd, but, but I do find that I, I'm overly critical and I also have that weird out-of-body experience since I'm on the screen where I sort of feel yeah. like I'm watching others watch me and it just, uh, <laughs> it's too much pressure. <laughs> but, like a uh, mirror inside a mirror. mirror sort of thing. Yeah, there we go. even though I'm wearing, you know, a few pounds of, of Lucifer prosthetics in this one, I still, I still yeah. know it's me up there. <laughs> but yeah, no, of course. Weird, you know, watching it with an audience, and and yes, there was sort of some technical issues last night that that I'm sure most people didn't even catch. Um, but they really bummed me out, you know, as a, right as perfectionist artist. So um, can't control those things, but you also I think can't control your being bummed when they happen. Right. So you just put yourself out of the situation. You're like, oh, you know, you watch it, maybe the premiere, and then the rest of the yeah. time you. Do it. You just sit in the green room and like have a beer and just you know hang out. Yeah, definitely. Probably a few beers. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, you know the other thing. I mean, on top of you being an artist, I feel like you have sort of, and I don't know if you've necessarily started this, but this like touring film series where it's like an experience. It's not just a film. And I heard you talking about how you you expected Repo to be a theatrical film that would come out in theaters normally. And then Lionsgate wouldn't do that. So you in sort of being like, we're not going to be held back, went on the road with it, which now has created a whole world of people looking forward to this and probably created so many new fans. I mean, I think as a business model, it's brilliant. Well, thank you. Uh, it definitely is cool, and it, and it and certainly has worked out for us. But sort of like you said, I, I it, it kind of was by accident. I mean, 
Uh-huh. I think we had this mistaken idea with Repo that we were more normal than we really are. I yeah, think. I love that. I love that you thought you were making a film that was going to be, you know, up there with, like, Mission Impossible and everything, you know? Because, yeah. Uh, but I, I, I think that's awesome, though. You know, it's interesting to see, like, your path is so... You know, it's like the, what held you back actually is almost what propelled you for, propel you forward. Well, definitely. You know, in hindsight, it's twenty twenty because now I sure. look at it and I'm like, this of course was never going to be uh, a mainstream movie. And so Lionsgate was right. You know, I was I was missed at the time, but they were right that they would release this. If they had released Repo at least on three thousand screens, we would have failed miserably. And and it's just right. not that type of, of film. And and it and it didn't begin that way. You know, if we're really honest, it started out as a stage production. So it was already right. a live experience with the music and the, the cast and, and even the audience, you know. And so this sort of Rocky Horror type event screening where the audience participates is very much the bones of, of that film. And mm-hmm having watched how it succeeded as a tour, but failed as a movie in a traditional sense, kind of yeah. empowered us. And so with the devil's carnival, we said, this is exactly what we're going to do. And we're not going to even try to be normal. We're, we're going to, we're going to let our, our, our freak yeah. fly, I guess, and just do it. Yeah. And, and last night was a version of that. In fact, last night is probably as mainstream as it gets for us because it was a, a quote unquote premiere. And there was kind of, you know, the, 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 the press there ceremony. and yeah, the red carpet, but really even that is this absurd attack onto this because it's, it's just not that kind of thing. And, and as such, you get people that just scratch their head and go, what the fuck is this? What did I just watch? But then you <laughs> yeah. have this small group of the population that goes, Oh my God, that's totally my language. And it's yeah. a lifestyle. You know, there are people dressed up like characters from a film that they hadn't even seen yesterday <laughs> yeah i know that's amazing by, by promo materials and all that business so so did you grow up into were you into theater and music like when you were in high school you know i i well i mean i wasn't the music but theater no um i grew up in the ghetto so i didn't, I didn't even know what a, a musical was and, and i think where did you grow up i grew up in santa Ana, which i know now okay. it's become this sort of like weird little artsy town but when yeah. i was growing up it was you know there wasn't really there weren't coffee shops and theaters it was it was the hood and right. and so i say that not as a badge of honor but just the schools i went to no one was talking about no one's talking or, about musical theater or anything no like that. i mean i had seen wizard of oz i suppose so i knew i guess i was aware that this type of thing existed but i i think my brain associated that with like old timey stuff as opposed to yeah, right. genre. Yeah. So, and I think it's actually served me well because truthfully, most musicals I can't stand. Um, yeah. I was you know, wondering so, that if you were a fan of musicals, cause watching your work, uh, it seems like you're more a fan of opera actually. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I definitely think our stuff is more operatic than say musical theater, even though the devil's carnival technically is a musical and repo is technically an opera. Um, yeah. But I think really, I just, I mean, I like, I like the theatricality in the same way that I like Iron Maiden's theatricality, you know, or, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Danzig's theatricality, or Marilyn Manson. And then yeah. you, you're, you're creating these bigger-than-life characters. You're 
hopefully writing some great songs, but, but really you're building a world and music is just a part of that world. And so to me, it's, it's, it's the coolest thing ever because you kind of get to marry all of these things and it does kind of suck because you have to say musical because that's the only way people kind of get it. Oh, they're singing. But I think that's such a, um, that's not a, it's, that's a category categorization that doesn't quite cover what we're doing. And I'm not sure that, I think it's probably because we're not doing something quite like anyone else right now. And I'm pretty proud of it. Oh, that. yeah, yeah. I felt that way when I saw it, because I heard it, I mean, I, I went through the exact process you're describing. I heard it was a musical, and I was like, uh, I'm not really into musicals, you know? Yeah. And I heard it was like a horror dark thing, so I was like, okay, maybe that redeems it a little. Maybe I'll check it out. And I watched a couple scenes from The Devil's Carnival, the first one, and I was like, I don't know what the fuck this is, you know? <laughs> It, it, it totally, and I mean, I'm a metal, I love metal, and I love goth, and I love horror movies, you know, I've seen, like, all the Saw movies and everything, I love all that shit, and I was like, I, I wanted to like it, but I was like, I don't know, this is just, there's something that, that's too singy, it's too theatrical, it's too, like, it reminds me of all my theater friends in, in high school and everything, you know, and then I actually watched a scene twice, almost by accident, it was this scene where the woman is standing there with a lantern, and you're both singing yeah. at the same time. Yeah. And I was like, this is fucking amazing. It is so moving, and it just literally flipped on in my brain, like, in a moment. And I was like, this is just, like, the and, the, and Lucifer and her singing the same lines together and your voices together, it was really amazing. And I was blown away, and I was like, I think I just became a fan. <laughs> oh, wow. It sort of snuck well, up you. on me. Yeah. I, I know the scene well, obviously. It's uh, it's in All My Dreams I Drown, which yeah. ironically was a scene that was cut from the film um, d- due to just it, it pacing-wise, not not due to, the, I think, the scene not, not working. Right. But I think it really, for us, it was kind of a boom because it's a scene that kind of does stand on its own and also doesn't give away any of the movie. So we really Yeah, no, it, it totally and, stands on its own. Yeah, on its own, yeah. Yeah, and so we were able to release it and uh, in, in advance of, of the film coming out, the first one at least, and uh, uh-huh. it seemed to catch on, and, and I think that was the most popular song on the soundtrack, at least if you pay attention to downloads and such. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I find that that's often the experience, and, and so it, it's hard sometimes because you see, like even last night, there were some people there that I know, I know they didn't like it, you know, I know uh-huh. that they were scratching their heads, and, and that's yeah. And I think the hard part about it is my gut is some of them may come around to liking it. <laughs> we just have to endure. We just have to endure that 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 head scratch, and they might catch it again later and go, "This shit's grown on me." <laughs> yeah, well, and you know, I find that in my life, the things I tend to really like the most are sometimes the things that I really didn't like at the beginning. Hmm. The process of learning and having it grow on you, and like discovering that you like it in spite of your initial feeling, I think really creates a very strong bond with whatever that is, you know? Well, well, I I agree. And, you know, not to pat ourselves on the back, but I think we work hard to to do that, to try to not, Uh not just give you what you're expecting or what you're used to. Because I mean, let's be honest, a cover band can kill every night. And, mm-hmm. and it's because mm-hmm. they're playing songs you know. So mm-hmm. it's like, um, you know, to really, 
really shake things up, you have to kind of go into the unfamiliar. And I think oftentimes the unfamiliar rubs us a little wrong at first. And then we're like, wait a minute, I kind of like, I kind of like dancing in this corridor. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But do you ever have that experience yourself? Like, that's what I was curious about. When you're in the middle of making this, no matter which project it is, is there, I mean, I imagine there must be a moment where you're like, what the fuck am I doing? This is insane. No one's ever going to be into this. Like, do you doubt yourself severely during the process? Oh, yeah. I mean, part of the reason for my, my hoarse voice right now is that I, it, it, I actually had to get quite drunk last night just to endure <laughs> my, own, my own judgment, you know, my own internal monologue of the thing. So, um, so absolutely, there's, there's self-doubt is a, is a, a pretty constant companion. Um, but, you know, I think at the end of it all, it's like, it's, it's such, especially making a movie, it's such a long process. Mm-hmm. So at some point, for better or for worse, you kind of just have to throw yourself into it um, or, or literally give up. Um, because mm-hmm. when you're doing a movie like this, for me, I've been working on Alleluia, which we debuted last night for four years. And not in a passive right. way. It's like, it's a daily, you know, we don't take off weekends. We don't go on vacation. It's just, mm-hmm. it's around the clock. It's always in your brain. And that mm-hmm. process starts with the music and the story and leads into finding financing, which leads into actually booking locations and casting actors, which leads into editing. And it's just, it's just protracted journey where mm-hmm. I think sometimes you stop and you look back and you go, did I just waste four years of my life on some weird <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And part of the answer like, is yes. Get up in bed and, and, in the middle of the awesome. night. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. Yeah, no, last night I, there was a moment where I was just kind of thinking, I should just go home right now. But, <laughs> and it's like this, it was this weird thing where my brain was going, no, no, you can't do that because you're supposed to enjoy tonight, stupid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, like, your flight instinct is just kicking in and going, leave, just get out of here, just go anywhere. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because you're already nervous enough, and then, like I said, we had a couple of techno technical glitches right off the bat that I think, mm-hmm. you know, it just it, it it colored the night, at least the beginning of it, in a weird way for me. Um, mm-hmm. But but then again, you know, I afterwards there was a little after party, and and some fans were there, and I actually talked with a lot of them about their experience of the film, and and you realize they're legitimately happy, which you know, what more can you ask for as an artist? You know, we get to create make these things and have them affect people. Even if it's a small group of people, they're affected. And mm-hmm. I think that's why we do what we do. And that's why we even have the self-doubt, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to go through your history, if we could. Like, you grew up, you, uh, you grew up in Santa Ana. You started as an animator. So you were, uh, you, were, you know, you got into drawing. Was that what you were all into in high school as well? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because I, I studied illustration. That's uh, I went to college. Oh right, for you that. went to yeah, you went to college for that, right? And yeah, I, I think at the time, well, truthfully, I I just liked to draw, and I liked I think I was kind of an awkward kid, so I, I had a lot of time alone sitting in a room, and I mm-hmm. just drew, and and I guess it probably got encouraged by the fact that sometimes people would see what I was drawing and say, "Wow, that's cool." Um, so it wasn't until really just before, just the end of high school that a teacher said to me, you know, have you thought about going to art school? And I didn't even mm. know what that was. 
I'm like, art school, what does that mean? She's like, well, there's, there's schools that, that train you to do this for a living. And I was, I mean, it's so funny to think of it now, but I was like, wait, people actually make a living off of this? <laughs> so you, you were just, up, yeah, you had no concept. No concept. And so I, I ended up with this teacher's guidance. I sort of put together a portfolio and, and the course of two weeks and submitted it. And uh, I got accepted to a couple of schools, which at the time, of course, I thought, I mean, I was a badass. In hindsight, you know, if, as long as you're paying, they're taking. <laughs> but, uh, well, thank but God no, for I that went, teacher, though, right? Thank God for that teacher well, who totally saw that totally, talent because, in you. Yeah. And, and, and truthfully, I studied and I, and I thought I was going to be uh, a storyboard artist. Right? That sounded really compelling to me. I liked mm-hmm. the idea of telling stories with pictures. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I graduated and I spent a couple of years pounding the pavement. And then I ended up getting a gig at Sony Animation as a storyboard artist. And right. I was actually making a living for the first time. And, and I think it was even unionized. So I was on my way to having, you know, health care and all that benefit. And and it, and then I and how old were you at this point? Were you like the twenty three? Um, yeah, probably around that, maybe twenty two. I mean, I was yeah. just out of college, so. Right. Um, but but I but I found myself that I hated it. This thing that I thought I was going to like, I was mm. drawing in a corporate structure, literally sitting in a cubicle, like it was an office job. And I right. just, I didn't like it. I, I wanted to create, and so and I guess I wanted to create on my own terms. And I, and that experience actually is, is one of the main thrusts that pushed me kind of back into music because uh, I had played in marching bands when I was in you know school and and so what I instrument did you play of, in, in band well this is gonna be very uncool but I, I the first instrument I learned was was clarinet <laughs> that's awesome and then I I know I know and then I I got into trumpet a little bit and I even played tuba for a short period of time but I think that was more based on the fact that I was I was big for my age, and they think they needed someone to carry it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, you know, after the, anim- the failed animation experience, I, right. I kind of stumbled into uh, this guy, Darren Smith, who was my, my writing partner on Repo. And yeah. this new era of my life was born, and, and as weird as it is, I, I kind of make my living writing dark musicals about Satan. Yeah, so you, you and him sat down together. I read about how the concept kind of came together. Um, a friend was, was uh, I mean, I'm talking about Repo now. Um, yeah. So you meet Darren, and you're talking about your friend's uh, going into bankruptcy or something, and and has to, is dealing with, like, trading, trading uh, all the stuff he's bought for money to pay for his bankruptcy or something like that, right? Yeah, it was it was very much a um he he knew a guy that was kind of afraid of the repo man. And Right, afraid <laughs> of there it behold, is. Well, afraid of someone stealing his assets, you know, and then we just kind of took it one step further in this sort of grand guanal sort of theater of gore and said, Well what if what if he was trying to repossess your body parts and, and it just kinda it went from there. And, uh, and so had you had already been doing set. musical stuff at this point, right? You and Darren had been performing on stage like little 10-minute pieces. We, Is that correct? We had. We had. And, and they were, I think, probably closer to performance art than yeah. than musical theater or even than rock. Um, but, and, and you know, and, and this is, that was all part of the journey. And, and I'm really glad that that journey happened pre-YouTube. <laughs> 
because I know <laughs> I know that it, it wasn't always pretty. You know, it was in fact most <laughs> of the time it didn't work. <laughs> what kind of venues would you perform? Like, would you perform between bands, or or would you perform at like a theater? Or no, we, we didn't we didn't go to theater until a couple years into it. Um, mm-hmm. No, we we would do. I mean, sometimes it was coffee houses and stuff, but usually it was it was rock venues. So just okay. you know, you talk about scratching your head when you're seeing in all my dreams I drowned for the first time. Imagine you're going to I don't know the coconut teaser at the time, and right. you're seeing these these heavy metal acts, and then suddenly these these two weird guys set up there with sampler foot pedals <laughs> and start <laughs> telling you these weird kind of gothic tales. With in, music. Like in um, costume, would you guys be in costume? It was very minimal. It was sort of like we, yeah. I, I used to I used to wear some of the white kind of face paint, and we usually would wear all black. But it was very minimal because uh, we were doing different types of stories. The set would consist of different stories, so it wasn't like one character going all the way through. Um, mm-hmm. And usually, you know, people would uh, oftentimes walk out or just kind of be sitting there scratching their heads. And but occasionally, mm-hmm. you know, I'd leave a club feeling a little deflated. And I'd walk past like a bouncer. I remember this vividly. There was this bouncer at the Coconut Teaser at the time. <laughs> this muscle-bound, heavy-looking dude, you know, he probably was like a leader of a biker gang or something. And, and he was sitting there stone-faced the whole time. And I assumed he was just thinking, this is like, this is the uh, the lamest stuff. Like, who are these, you know, these theater homos? <laughs> and, and as I left, <laughs> he, he literally stopped me and he goes, man, those 10-minute operas, I dig it. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's a compliment when it's coming from the bouncer too because they see everything and they don't have to talk to anybody if they don't want to you know I, exactly and that's why the story resonates <laughs> yeah that's amazing so so then you came up with the the repo idea and was it was it a film from the beginning was that the idea you know no it wasn't i mean it started off as a live show but I think both Darren Smith and myself, if we're honest, we, we were way more informed by movies than we were by, by theater or by opera. So right. I think the entire time as we were doing it, we had this sort of cinematic idea. And usually, of course, our idea was bigger than what we could actually pull off. Um, but no, it started off as this 10-minute opera, two-person thing. It bloomed into kind of a, a one-act show where we actually had a cast mm-hmm. of actors. And we did that at clubs, too. We did that like at the formerly was the gig. Uh, we did it at Largo in LA. Mm-hmm. And then eventually we started, we said, okay, let's make this bigger and let's do it as a real play. We booked a theater. We got a director and that's where I met Darren, who I've now collaborated mm-hmm. with on three musical films. Mm-hmm. Um, that played uh, at the stage show in LA for, I think it was like six weeks, six weekends, something like that. And, and we started getting good crowds coming out. Um, and that grew into uh, off off Broadway production in New York, and then finally a short film directed by Darren uh, in Canada, in Toronto, that helped us secure financing to do the feature. Film. Is that Darren Smith or Darren Bowsman? Oh, Darren Bowsman. I'm sorry. Darren Smith's the co-writer, and, and Darren Lynn Bowsman is the director. Is the director right? How did you connect with Darren Lynn Bowsman? It was uh, doing the Repo Stage Show. He directed the very first fully staged repo stage play. Mm-hmm. And, and you were at. How did you meet him and, and connect up and do that? Well, you know, it was a weird thing because, again, we were kind of faking it, faking our way through. <laughs> so 
Right. When we were like, okay, we're doing a stage play. We're like, what do we need? Well, you need a director. Okay, let's find a director. And uh, I think we kind of put the feelers out to some people we knew. And I think we even put an ad. Might have been in like, I don't even remember where we put the ad. It might have been Craigslist. But this might have been pretty uh-huh. Craigslist now that I think of it. And we interviewed several people. And, you know, he left an impression on us. I mean, he, he had this crazy manic energy. And he seemed to be had more he about... directed the Saw movies at that point? No, no. In fact, okay. you know, we became friends uh, from doing Repo and doing this crazy midnight theater thing. And he said at the time, he was like, you know, I, he wanted to be a director. He wanted to direct films. He'd gone to film school. But yeah. he always loved these sort of rock operas. And he said, you know, if I remember ever in a position where I have the ability to make a movie, I want to make Repo. And, right. uh, you know, cut cut to a couple years later and... Uh, we put together a short film version of the stage play. He took it into Lionsgate because at that time he had landed Saw 2 and directed Saw 3 as well at this point. Uh-huh. Were box office hits. And I think yeah. it's because of that that we were able to do Repo. Because I think if we just came in with this wacky cult musical without his, you know, pull at the time. It gave it you some clout in the studio's eyes. Yeah. Even though I think the yeah. studio had no idea what they were making, and I think when they saw the end result, they were they were scratching their head like, <laughs> like some of the they were like, "What the hell do we spend this money on?" Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but here we are. That's you know, the it's brilliant now, thing now, about it, though you you know you you really do challenge people to um to 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 like really think about what they're watching and what they're doing. You're not you're. You're so far out. I mean, like you said, I don't think anyone else is doing anything like this, at least not that I know of. All the comparisons I've heard from Rocky Horror Picture Show to Moulin Rouge and all that, I mean, they're similar, but not really, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, and, and of course, Rocky Horror is 40 years old now. So, um, yeah. you know, it's crazy that that's still the point of reference that people use. because it's, I think it's the only thing that even is, sort of has like a, a horrorness, but... That's that's a little campy, and yours doesn't have very much campiness to it, really. Like maybe moments, but from what I could tell, it takes itself very seriously. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if we're, we're not winking at the audience, but if you're doing right. a, a musical about a guy that's ripping out organs, there's clearly a tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, but the characters themselves, you know, within the within the structure of the um, opera, you know, are very serious. Everything is. Uh, I feel like from what I saw, it was like, yeah, maybe there are some like little like winky moments, but like in, in Rocky Horror Picture Show, it's like the whole time that you feel like they're nudging you in the ribs with their elbow. Like, yeah. Know. Yeah. Which no, is no, I mean, it's I guess, a different beast, you know? Yeah. I think, you know, we, yeah, we, we sort of write something and, and expect our characters to play serious, even in a absurd background. And to that end, you know, one of my one of my favorite scenes from Alleluia, the newest Devil's Carnival movie, is yeah. between myself and uh, Dayton Callie, who plays the ticket keeper, and he's kind of Lucifer's right hand man in the show. And we both mm-hmm. look strange. I mean, we're made up. You know, I'm sure you've seen pictures of how I look. I'm I've, I'm like in eight hours of makeup, you know, to become this. Yeah, the makeup devil. is intense. It, it is, it is. And, you know, so I, I look like this wild creature. And Dayton, similarly, he's got like a fake nose on and a, a monocle and this wild outfit and this fake hair. And so he looks like he's 
I don't know, the Crypt Crypt Keeper or something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and so the two of us together look like, okay, this is like some bizarre clown show. But we have this scene which is very serious and normal. And I remember thinking, if we can make people feel something in spite of how weird we look, then we'll have done something correct. And I, and, I had, and, and I feel we did. And in fact, last night, I had a couple people come up to me and say, I really like that scene. It really gave, um, you know, some sort of gravitas to those guys' relationship. And so I, I took that as like a, a victory. But you're right. It's, it's, it, there's camp, but, but at the same time, we, we play it rather serious. Well, yeah, and I think it has to be, uh, I, I heard you talking about, you know, um, you're dealing with like large themes you know, like betrayal and love and hate and uh, God and Satan. And, you know, you're going, you're, you're aiming for the big, the big ones, you know, Rocky Horror Picture doesn't take on any of that. I mean, I, it doesn't try to, it's not its goal, but I, I think it's, you know, it's interesting. You're really aiming for like the, you know, the Shakespearean, like classical theme with this. And, but then putting it in a context that is so different from, um, the way those classical themes are usually dealt with. I think that's what makes it really well, special. Well, thank you. Yeah. You yeah. know, I guess I hadn't really thought about it in those terms, but, but you're right. I mean, how the, I, I think one of the, it, if we don't have enough to overcome already with the, <laughs> with the type yeah. of movies, we decide to do one that's kind of a, I don't know, an anti-God film <laughs> put to music. <laughs> <laughs> So was there a moment, like, after Repo where you saw it? I mean, I was thinking there was, there was probably two moments. Maybe there was a moment where you were like, wow, we, I, I failed. Like, I blew it. This is just going to, like, Lionsgate's not going to release it. And we've spent all this time and money into this thing, and it's just, like, it's going to be shelved, which is, like, the worst. That's, that's almost worse than coming out and bombing, right? It's like you don't even get the chance. Yeah, no, it was it was a really depressing time. In fact, I, I think there's a motif in my life that I really should examine, <laughs> which is usually when something is released, the, the, the culmination of years of work, I usually find myself the most depressed. And and that <laughs> and that the release of that movie was especially true for that, you know, because that was in that was released in 2008, mm-hmm. and even though that's not that long ago, if you think about how films were released then versus now, it's night and day. And so at yeah. that time, to be a, a movie that went straight to DVD, that meant you were a failure, especially one mm-hmm. with the budget the size of Repo and the cast the size of Repo. Now mm-hmm. that's kind of normal. Now that's just how most films are released. You go straight yeah. to Netflix or straight to VOD. But at the time, that there was a real stigma associated with that. Right, right. So, you know, for me, of course, it's selfish, but I had this, this these high hopes, especially you know, with this gigantic cast we had, uh, this director who had just come off of these number one box office movies with the Saw films, and, you know, my friends who had watched me work on this thing for almost a decade. I mean, I was, Repo was about an eight-year journey from where it started to the final film. Mm-hmm, wow. So, you know, I had this feeling of like, wow, I'm going to go back to all my friends who you know, are thinking I've sort of made it and this thing is happening and kind of look them in the face and just go, yeah, no, we, uh, we failed. <laughs> so it, it was a weird, yeah, it was a weird thing. And of course, who cares? In the final analysis, you're not making the art, you're making the art for somebody else to hopefully enjoy. And I think that we're very lucky in that 
Repo and, and subsequently Carnival has really found its audience. But well, yeah, yeah, and that's I mean, what I was going to ask. Was there a moment where you said, wait, I didn't fail. I made something that just needed a little time to grow. You know, you actually planted a seed. It wasn't like it came out full bloom. It was like, it seems like there was a slow growing interest. And now all of a sudden you're like, wait, I can do this. And I don't even have to have a producer or a studio or anybody. Like I can be in charge of everything. I mean, that's amazing. When you put it that way, it certainly sounds amazing. And it is. It is. <laughs> I mean, of course, well, it's not without work and it's not, and nothing's. Oh, it's so it's, you, uh, it's all the work. I mean, you, when you choose that, you choose all the work. This is true, and yeah. and you 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 uh, sorry like a helicopter's flying over. I guess they found me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, you you definitely have more creative control. But now you're suddenly having to worry about things like budgets and finding money and all that. But yeah. you know, for me with Repo, where it turned actually was the touring. Um, we had made this movie. We spent all this time and energy and, and money, of course, to create a theatrical film. And the idea that it was never going to be shown theatrically just seems mm-hmm. wrong. So we booked a couple of these standalone shows, and they sold out. Um, and I remember showing up. I'm so sorry. I hope that's not like. No, it's, it's, a, it's not too loud. It's fine. Okay. Um, we showed up at these these screenings. And they were packed with people. And for these people who hadn't even seen the movie yet, they had seen some of the scenes that had been released online. Mm-hmm. They had seen our website, which had a lot of images of the costumes and the characters. And they showed up suited up. You know, they were dressed like Grave Robber or Repo. It's amazing. They were singing in the aisle. They were interacting. They were being creative. And, and I remember just, I was there with Darren, the director, and we just looked at each other and said, oh, shit this is who our movie's for. And right. now we've never looked back. And, uh, you know, I, as you know, we're, we're launching into a 41-city North American road tour with, with Alleluia um, in two weeks. And we're That's doing amazing. the exact thing we did with Repo, but just on a, a little bit of a bigger, more, more planned way. So we, now, do you we feel more comfortable going in? Sorry, go ahead. <clears throat> Um, you know, I don't know if I feel more comfortable. I mean, it's always a little bit, you know, you hope nightly that people are going to dig it <laughs> and that they're going to show yeah. up because, you know, you, if you're driving across the country and you go into a theater. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of work there. in that. Yeah. Oh my God. It's in our case, we have, we're making a movie, we're making a soundtrack and mm-hmm. we're making a tour. And that's uh, mm-hmm. each one of those is enough to kill someone. I think. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You seem to love just having stuff on your plate to work on. I mean, you know, you got the movie and then you decide to do the molting, which is like 12, is it 12 issues? It comes up to something like 450 pages of drawing and you can do one page a day. And I'm like, wow, this guy is just, he doesn't like to be bored. You know, you don't like to sit around and watch a movie. You like to be working. (laughs) Yeah, I, I guess so. I guess I'm a, I'm a masochist in that way. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're like, you know what? I, I'm drawing the molting, but I want to do a tutor thing about about the molting. You know, maybe we can make a film about the making of this. And then, you know, like a you know Bob Ross meets Jeffrey Dahmer. 
because it's such a you know because people are clamoring for that. Yeah, and then, they're, they're lining up. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but I mean, I I think you know it served you really well because you have taken on a lot, and a lot of people would have just said, "Fuck this, just give me a regular job." Like I was wondering, have you ever tried out for television or film, like as an actor? You know, or a couple of times. Theater or opera. Um, yeah, I, I, I did. I did a couple. Um, and I've auditioned a couple like, times for film things. But, you know, honestly, I, I, guess, I guess this is a, a shortcoming in my, my character, but, but I guess I like having more control than just showing up somewhere and being like, hey, um, I want to read a couple lines from a story I don't know, and, and please, please, please pick me. So that's never really yeah, been Yeah, I mean, my, that's uh, how, it must feel jam. weird for you after being on the control side of writing and directing and doing everything. Um, and now you're, yeah, going and auditioning. It's like, wait, I don't, I don't, you know, that, that must feel like a step down. Well, you know, I think the whole thing feels like um, it's this amazing learning experience where I feel like I get, like by doing these films, I sort of, learn how to do every aspect of production or at least learn how to do a little bit of every aspect of production mm-hmm. in such a way that I now know how to, I don't know, make a movie, <laughs> make a play, yeah. book a tour. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it's, it's crazy. I think on some level to take on that much work, but at the same time, I mean, what else am I going to do? Get a day job? <laughs> <laughs> well, do you have a, do you have a girlfriend or a wife? I don't, and I suppose that the type of, uh, I mean, I have had girlfriends, of course. Sure. Um, and, and I often find that, I think because of my workaholic personality, it, it, it eventually becomes an issue with the relationship. Has, it, has so that always say, become an issue? Yeah. It does, it does. And, and I, should, I, I should really say I become an issue. <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, you know, I think it's this weird... Um, dichotomy, at least in my personality, whereas, you know, I, I like to have someone around and I like to, you know, be loved and <laughs> have a companion. Sure. On the other hand, I like to, at a moment's notice, you know, throw some clothes in a bindle stick and, uh, and hop in a van and go tour a movie. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't always work out well for a relationship. So for right yeah. now I'm, I'm single and I think that that's probably, uh, a more wise policy for myself and for, uh, you know, the romantic relationships I've had in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're about to go on tour into 40 cities and you're, um, you know, the creator of this huge thing. I mean, I think I would think that these girls dressed up in these hot goth costumes are just like dripping off you. They, you must be beating them away. You know what I mean? Like you've created this world and people have, shown up and like paid in blood they're like this is not just something i'm into this is like this is a part of me you know and so and i've seen well, pictures I, I guess of you, these you, you've got me out that i do all of for like the hot <laughs> you what uh well no you're right i mean there is a um there is something really awesome and it's certainly an ego stroke to go on the road and have people, yeah. you know, just even care enough about your work to buy a ticket. I mean, how oh, cool is that? Right. I mean, that, yeah. that by itself is 
10 years ago, I would have thought like, no one's going to pay for anything I do. So it's right. this weird thing where it's awesome. People are excited. And yes, there is a, you know, our fan base is, I think, probably 70% young women. So as a, as a, <laughs> as, a, as a male, as a male mammal, you know, it's, it's very awesome to just kind of go, shit, these, these girls, well, you know, on one level, they didn't pay attention to me when I was in school. Now, yeah. like my art, like my music. And so it's certainly a, a flattering experience. And, uh, you know, I get to pretend I'm a rock star for a couple months out of the year. So, you know. I'm yeah, gonna... and that's what exactly what I would think you're getting that rock star shine. <laughs> and, I mean, the films have a bit of like an SM quality to them. It's not overt, but I also noticed it in the tutor when you're like carve your name into the back of that girl, which is like fucking amazing. I was just like, that's, what, that's another moment where I was like, you know. Whether I like this or not, I got to give this guy credit because he's fucking going for it. And he's not looking back and not apologizing or anything. So you've got to have like, you know, you don't just have like a bunch of like cute young girls. You have like these young little freaky nymphs that are like, probably want you to do all kinds of terrible things to them. Wow. Well, I, I'm glad you cut right to the chase, my friend. Um. <laughs> well, I saw you talking about, I read something you said, um, you know, I get a lot of fan mail or, or letters or fans um, that, you know, that makes me blush. And I was like, oh, well, he's being, he's being a gentleman here because, I mean, I've been on the road and toured as a DJ and I'm just playing electronic music and I've run into those girls and you're making like this goth musical opera that so that people like i said i think it, it means a lot to people to see something that um isn't represented anywhere else but to them when they see it they're like wow this is really like a part of who i am it's not just it's not just like oh i like that song it's like oh no this speaks to me as a person and so yeah you like are the you're the king and um yeah i would just think that would be a lot of fun well, it is. And, you know, I think yeah. where it's joking aside, I think where it's especially cool is you realize, I mean, what I'm making is a reflection of me and the things that I like, and the things that I yeah. want to see, whether I was creating them or not. Sure. And so when you go out on the road, you basically are meeting like-minded people, you know, people that think and like some of the same things you do. And mm -hmm. sure, some of them, maybe they want to fuck the devil. <laughs> Well, that was, you know, it's so funny you said that. Someone put in a fan question. We asked for fans to put in questions. And someone asked, you, have you ever had sex in the Lucifer costume? <laughs> well, you know, I, 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 unfortunately, the answer is no. <laughs> uh, but that's not because I didn't want to. Uh, it's, it's, it's more that, firstly, getting into that costume is, is hell. It's hours right. of work. And you're sitting there. How many hours is it? It must be four or five hours to get into that thing. Yeah, I mean, it, it varied. Um, I think the longest day was about six hours to get in. And then it's about an hour, an hour and a half to get out. So that's not counting filming. That's just sitting in a chair yeah. being made up. And so so there's that. And usually when it's so that, that make, long. You have to be there at like four in the morning to get into the you're, you're there at an ungod. Yeah, and you're the, you're the first one there and you're the last one to leave. Right. Um, so, so there's already that, and usually because it takes so long, they're ready to roll. Like they're waiting on you. They're 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 tapping their watches, you know, because mm -hmm, you're spending mm -hmm. money on set. So there's high high pressure, high stress, and then as a performer, I get a little lunatic, 
nutty and self-conscious. So I'm not, I'm not necessarily the nicest person to be around <laughs> during those moments. Right. But, but moreover, there's a practical consideration and that is with those nails and that makeup, I can't even, I can't even turn a page in a book, let alone undip my fly. So <laughs> logistically, consideration. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you could find some help with that, but, uh, I, I was curious about, I, re, I was uh, reading about, you were talking about when you were making repo that the producers would come to you on some days and say, you can shoot this scene or you can shoot this other scene, but you can't shoot both and you need to choose or we'll choose for you. And I think as a artist, that must be, you know, you just feel so much pressure when that happens. But I would think in the long term, it might help make the project even better because you have to make hard decisions. Do you think that was the case? Uh, yeah, I mean, well, you I'll, only get I'll to keep your saying, favorite, favorite stuff, you know? Well, yeah, except for it's not exactly film for I'll go and say that didn't just happen on repo. That happened on the most recent Devil's Carnival movie. Oh, it did. Um, yeah, and it, and it happens for different reasons, but usually it's because of money. Usually it's because you've gone over budget. Sure. Something's happened. And so on the most recent Devil's Carnival, which I, well, I hope when you see it, um, you enjoy it, but it, it looks like a massive film. But we filmed this entire thing, which is these grand landscapes and, and of course, the, some of the makeup I just described. So mm-hmm. it's a really ambitious big project, and we filmed the totality of it in 13 days. It was Whoa. supposed to be 15 days. Um, and about halfway through shooting, we got noticed that we were going to have to lose some days. But, it, but in that scenario, it wasn't one where you go, okay, which scenes can you really stand to lose? It was, which scenes can you stand to lose that come at the very end of the shoot? Right. Because we had already filmed, you know, these things are planned and scheduled out months. And yeah. Time. And you have, you have actors on schedule. So you need to be other places and things. We do. And for that matter, in this case, we filmed at three different locations for it. Uh-huh. So all the scenes that took place in one location had already been shot. We're in the middle of the second one. So really the question was what two days of filming can you cut from the last location? And the last location, unfortunately was hell. So it was right. this weird thing where we're like, we're called the Devil's Carnival on a personal level. I'm, I'm the big red guy. <laughs> yeah, I don't want right. to cut two days from hell. Hell is where people want to play. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we had to, and we had to get really creative. And this was, again, in the middle of filming. So uh, we're having those crazy long days, makeup and everything else. And suddenly you're being told, okay, you know, after you go home from a 14-hour day on set, you're going to sit down in front of your computer and start making script changes and then get those to the people that do the scheduling so that they have a chance to break it down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it, it sucks. I mean, it really was like this weird moment of just having a gun put to your head and saying, you got to make it happen or you won't be able to finish the movie. And so do you, and and do you feel case, like that was a help that it made you force you to be more creative and was helpful? Or do you feel like you watch it now and you're like, fuck, I wish we had filmed that shit. You know what's so weird and cool about film? Well, honestly, I think any art. Whatever mm-hmm. your intention was, or however you imagined it, you know, maybe in some cases I imagined a different person playing a role, for example. But once it's filmed and out there, you just get used to it that way. And so right. now, for example, 
I can't imagine anyone but Dayton Cowley playing Ticket Keeper. I'm mm-hmm. not sure who was in the back of my head when I first wrote that role, because I didn't mm-hmm. know Dayton Cowley at the time. Um, right. But in terms of the cutting of that, those scenes, I don't know. I mean, I look at it, 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 it feels more streamlined. Um, but we, we cut a song. We cut an entire song. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, who knows? That might have been the hit of the movie. <laughs> and we'll right. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, what I wanted to ask you before we left was that, you know, I was debating in my head, does this guy live in a place that's like a weird, spooky, creepy place with all kinds of skulls and like weird, strange body parts in jars floating and and like weird uplighting and stuff? Or does he live in like the most normal, basic house and I couldn't decide which way to go. So I was just curious, like what what is your general like at home day to day lifestyle like? Like I I don't know. I can't figure it out. Well well I'm glad that you, you looked at my work and had that question. <laughs> <laughs> well but you know I guess I'll 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 answer that in two parts. I mean one contrary to I suppose popular assumption would be if you're making movies and you're touring around like a rock star in a van yeah. showing those movies and you're getting to play the devil and you're getting to work with these awesome performers like yeah. Tech Nine and Jimmy Urin and Dayton Cowley, who I mentioned, um, that you are a rich man. And and I, right. I assure you that nothing could be further from the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, if anything, even though I'm a very lucky artist and that I do make a living, off of my art, it's always in quotations. The word living is always in quotations because sure, I understand that. the amount of work you do, when you, when you map on the hours to what you actually make, you're probably not even making minimum wage. You, you're just, you just never stop working. You know, you're working right. around the clock. So, right. so I could, even if I wanted to live in a dark Gothic mansion at the moment, I <laughs> one. well, maybe it was just a dark Gothic two room apartment. or something. <laughs> well, you know, no, I live in a very humble, uh, it's a one bedroom apartment, uh, in California in Van Nuys. And uh, probably what makes it mine versus just, you know, four walls that I'm, I'm renting is yeah. I do, I do decorate my space in in a colorful and artistic way that I think inspires, helps inspire some of the things that I, I create since I work from home so frequently. So like, for yeah. example, I have like, you know, purple and green walls, red and blue ceilings and <laughs> things like oh, okay. that. That make me, but I think if anything, it looks a little bit more like um, an animation set than it does a haunted man. Right. Interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. The other thing I was wondering is, What's the softest, nicest, fluffiest thing that you just love? <laughs> like, do you watch, like, videos of baby animals or, like, um, you know, Hello Kitty or something? I mean, is there something that is just, like, the, the most vanilla stuff that is just, like, close to your heart? Wow. You know, that may be the hardest question I've ever been asked. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. Well, you know, I, I, I honestly don't, I don't know if I have a, a ready-made answer. I think, contrary to the characters I play, I'm, I'm actually a rather normal guy in, in my, my personal life. I don't That's why I asked, like from what I can tell, yeah, you seem like a very 
you know, like, I, it, it makes me think of, you kind of, in a way, reminded me of Rob Zombie, because he's such hmm. a character on stage and stuff, but when I met him in person, he's this very humble, kind of quiet, shy dude, you know, and I, and I got a similar vibe from you, really intelligent as well, but, you know, you're like, when you're off stage, you're not, you know, like, drawing pentagrams into into your floor and stuff like that, you know? <laughs> I, so I would think that you probably have some 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 you know likes that are just you know very almost bland to to, to most of your fans or you know people who would expect you to be you know like Lucifer twenty four seven. I mean, I think I think the you know, firstly, yeah, I need I need six hours of makeup to be that cool guy. <laughs> Otherwise, I am just shy, shy, introverted. Uh, I guess more cerebral type um, than than emotional. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know, probably the most I guess it's not exactly your question, but I suppose the most mainstream thing I do is I do drink way too much Starbucks coffee. Um, and oh, okay. so, so when I, <laughs> when I go and buy a coffee, sometimes I just kind of go, I know I'm paying way too much for this stupid coffee, uh, <laughs> but there's one in every corner and I'm addicted to caffeine. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. All right. That's pretty run of the mill. Excellent. Excellent. So hallelujah. You had the premiere last night. You're doing 40 cities in North America. Um, People should go to your website to find out more information. Is that right? Yeah, to get tickets for the Devil's Carnival tour, which starts mm-hmm. on the 26th of this month, uh, go to thedevilscarnival.com/tickets. Um, and then to find out stuff about me, probably the best way is my website, which is my name, terrencedunich.com, and I, I keep a blog on there where I, I regularly write about my experiences creating these projects, the experiences of touring them. So um, you definitely get a, a little peek behind the curtain uh, if you follow me there. Yeah, I was on your website. It's, I mean, it's packed full of stuff. There's drawing and writing and videos, and there's a store to buy all kinds of things. So it's definitely a place if you're a fan or even a slight fan like me, it's definitely a place where you can learn a ton more. Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you for talking to me today. It was really cool to talk to you. It was really, um, really fun to uh, kind of discover an artist and then be able to talk to them so soon afterwards. Uh, yeah, you definitely created a fan of me. Um, is, the, is this? Sh- I wish I knew it was last night. I probably would have tried to make it, but is it going to show in L.A. again? It is. Um, I don't have okay. the schedule right in front of me, but we're doing That's two fine. additional stops in L.A., uh, one in September, I think near the end of September, and then one, actually the very last stop. We're, so we're starting in L.A. and we're ending in L.A. So there's an October 18th screening. I think it's in Santa Monica, but it's definitely in Los Angeles County. So let me know, and we'll definitely hook you up. Great. I would appreciate it. Thanks so much, Terrence. Man, it's been my pleasure. So thanks for uh, taking the time to talk with me and help us spread the word. Yeah, very happy to. Thanks so much. Thank you. Have a good day. All right. Thanks for listening to Live and Direct. Please check out Alleluia, The Devil's Carnival. It's on tour now. It starts on August 26th in Tucson, Arizona, and travels around the whole country. You can get tickets at thedevilscarnival.com slash tickets. This is Craddy with Live and Direct, signing off. <laughs>